Hey there, welcome to Neuropod, a channel covering all topics related to Elon Musk's brain interface company, Neuralink. In this update episode, we'll look into some news about the FDA rejecting Neuralink's human trials application. I'll share some tweets from Elon, play a clip from this girl playing a video game using her brain signals, and then share some key news from the rest of the brain interface industry. I'll discuss Neuralink's eventual reach outside the US, and play a trailer from my interviews with James Dauma. Most of the news around Neuralink has centered around a report stating, US regulators rejected Elon Musk's bid to test brain chips in humans. A few days after the report came out, Elon Musk tweeted this. Add fun to the FDA and rename to FFDA. Elon's always engaged in some good banter with federal agencies. Remember this clever one from a few years ago? SEC, three-letter acronym, middle word is Elon's. Since Neuralink started in 2016, Elon and the team have been working on not only improving the functionality of the implant, but also making sure the devices are as safe as possible. And this is where the emotions clash. Many want these devices to be trialed yesterday. However, others are extremely concerned about the safety and effectiveness. No one I know wants to rush to get the trials completed. If the devices aren't going to be safe, however, there also exists another scenario, the one where the FDA is overly cautious and has such a high threshold for approving trial applications that these fantastic devices are not reaching the public as quickly as they should. Given that the FDA and Neuralink probably realize this, what's the holdup? Assuming the report is correct, why would the FDA reject Neuralink's application? I suspect one reason is that because these devices are new, Neuralink has the responsibility to prove the safety and efficacy of these surgically implantable invasive implants. This isn't to say what Neuralink is doing in principle is new. Rather, they have the courage to tackle the technical challenges of making a device that is much more useful than prior work. The most similar device that got FDA approval for trials in 2021 is Synchron's Stentrode device. This device is also implanted, however, not the same approach that Neuralink is taking. Neuralink is working on devices that are different and so much better than state-of-the-art devices that existed for many years prior. For example, here's a clip from their first public presentation discussing some of the reasons the Utah Array and Deep Brain Stimulator are not as safe, effective, or capable as the implants Neuralink is building. So the point is that there are lots of people that have been looking at this problem from lots of angles for decades, and we're in the greatest sense building on the shoulders of giants here. And so the question is, why not use one of those devices? Why not use a Utah Ray or, or a deep brain stimulator uh, implanted pulse generator? And there's, it's just, in the Utah Ray case, the, the rigid sharp metal electrodes produce a, a fairly strong immune response. And this doesn't end up hurting the patient, but it does mean that you lose the ability to record single spikes over some period of time, usually between one and a couple years. Um, there's also a big percutaneous connector through the scalp. So you need to plug in big external electronics, and you're never really confident that the risk of infection is, is gone for the duration that you have the implant. Um, deep brain stimulators solve a, just solve a very different type of problem. They are very effective for some Parkinson's patients, but they have only a couple electrodes, and they're really geared towards injecting large amounts of current, not recording single spikes. Um, so they're really a very different. Uh, the DBS is really just a very different type of um, platform for a di very different type of problem. So we had to go back to the drawing board and start over to, uh, build something that met the goals that Elon laid out for us. 
For reference, Neuralink's newest devices typically have around 150 times or 15,000% more channels compared to the Utah Array. The fact that these devices are similar in theory, but practically different, means that the FDA doesn't have precedence for how these devices will perform. Thus, they're going to have a higher threshold for granting approval. Additionally, when you add on the public exposure Elon Musk generates, there's likely some bias to be more cautious about granting approval as well. The first participants in the trial will be those who are either visually impaired or have a spinal cord injury. If you're interested in learning whether you may qualify for future Neuralink clinical trials, consider joining the patient registry at www.neuralink.com slash patient registry. In this clip, gamer Perry Carryall uses the headset to play a video game called Elden Ring. Hi, did you apply for Neuralink already? So in a few months, you don't have to wear the headset anymore. Oh man, that would be the dream. Yeah, see, the thing is, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily love uh, the fact that I have to keep adding saline solution and the fact that I have to charge it and things like that. So if Elon Musk wanted to kind of, you know, make it so that we could play Elden Ring, that would be great. This is an EEG device or an, an electroencephalogram device that detects brain activity. That brain activity is then correlated to the move she wants to make in the game. As she states in the video, adding the saline solution to improve the quality of signals is not that great. Over the longer term, this will be a clear advantage for Neuralink as they have the courage to work on making a much more technically challenging device that will ultimately be suitable for everyone. Um, I don't know if I necessarily buy into this metaverse stuff. Sure, you, you can put a TV on, on your nose. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that makes you in the metaverse, you know. When I grew up, it was like, don't sit too close to the TV, it's gonna ruin your eyesight. Right. And now I got like TV is like literally right here. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like, like that's the answer necessarily. A sophisticated Neuralink could um, put you fully, fully in a virtual reality thing. It's not enough to remove a giant TV screen from in front of your face. Another one of the many challenges of making a high bandwidth brain machine interface that many people will want is simply making the thing look good. Or in the case of the Neuralink brain chip, making the thing not be visible at all. Prior devices in this field required a wired connection, which meant a physical device would protrude from a patient's head. And though this tech could be quite useful to the patient, it's not ideal. Stanford professor, Dr. Paul Nuyajikin, discussed this in his video, breaking down Neuralink's monkey mind pong demonstration. The, the little piece they were talking about, about the, shared, uh, the shaved piece of head, that's that little bald patch you're seeing on the top of the head. Um, and that's because when they did surgery, they shaved off the, all the thick fur so they could get access to the, to the scalp um, and then implant, do the implantation. Now, one of the things that's very interesting about this is that had you not told me that 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 was that it was shaven for the purposes of an implant. I would have never been able to tell. Uh, the vast majority of this type of work is using wired implants that have external connectors. So there's hardware that's visible from the outside. Uh, and here you're seeing for the first time, um, you know, high channel count implants that are fully implantable that are basically invisible. So once this hair grows back, I wouldn't be even be able to tell you that the animal had a surgery. And that's sort of a, an important consideration from a cosmetic perspective. If this is ever to, to if these devices are ever to make it to be white, you know, to be accepted 
um, by, by people for, for, uh, for therapeutic use. To reiterate, the fact that Neuralink's architected a device that won't be visible to others is critical for mass adoption of these brain chips, which is clearly their goal. During the show and tell event this past November, DJ and the team demonstrated the team is working on building their own Neuralink clinic in manufacturing devices in higher volume. We got to see some of the freshly baked chips from this post on Twitter. Another post from Neuralink showed reading brain signals from this monkey. The takeaway here is that the idea of brain chips is going to take some getting used to, but once people come around to it, the products that enable real virtual reality or really immersive virtual reality are going to be the ones like Neuralink. The days of playing video games with your mind are on the horizon, and you won't need to add saline solution to a contraption on your head to make it work. In other brain-computer interface or BCI industry news, Neuralink co-founder DJ Sa attended a meeting with several other industry leaders. The Bureau of Industry and Security hosted a conference about BCI, where these five leaders discussed export controls regarding BCI technology. For those who aren't familiar, export controls are federal laws restricting the transfer of goods and technology to and the performance of services for persons and entities outside the United States. Those pictured here include Matt Engel, the founder and CEO of Paradromics, Marcus Gerhardt, the co-founder and CEO of BlackRock Neurotech, Michael Major, the co-founder and CEO of Precision Neuroscience, Tom Oxley, the founder and CEO of Synchron, and DJ Sa, the co-founder of Neuralink. As I mentioned earlier, the BCI industry is in the early stages, way before going mainstream. So these talks are cool to see. I'm also looking forward to learning more about how this will play out. Will companies in China have these types of devices approved for human use within the next few years? Will non-US citizens be able to get Neuralinks? I suspect this will take at least two decades as there will be several Neuralink clinics in the United States before expanding to Europe or Asia. In other BCI industry news, congratulations to Dr. Ryan Field, who got appointed from CTO to CEO of Kernel. Kernel is a wearable brain interface company that was founded by Brian Johnson, who has recently been in the news for Project Blueprint, a project to measure all 70 organs of the body and then maximally reverse the quantified biological age of each. I visited Kernel's headquarters in Los Angeles, so if you missed our episode covering their company and interviewing Brian, check that video out here. I've had the pleasure of being able to talk to James Dauma about Neuralink. James is a neural networks expert and has a wide variety of experiences working on technical projects that relate to what Tesla and Neuralink are working on. You, you solve intelligence, we're done. <laughs> the whole human race can go on vacation now, right? <laughs> there are certain things about Neuralink that are tough. The material science behind Neuralink is tough. Like getting a level of biocompatibility and getting the insertion procedures mature to the point where we have no qualms about putting this in perfectly healthy human beings. Like my experience with how those kinds of techs get developed is they take time because we are very cautious in how we develop that stuff. If we had mature nanotechnology, brain computer interface is trivial. Like it becomes a very simple problem. So there are various kinds of dysfunctions of this switch that can occur. They're rare, but they do occur. And one of them is that 
the switch cannot turn on when you go to sleep or it can be slow to turn on. So those people, they move around a lot in their sleep. Some of them get up and walk around in their sleep, right? It's, you know, there's, there are manifestations of sleepwalking that are literally like this thing isn't disconnecting the way that it should. The other one is what we call sleep paralysis, which is you wake up and the switch is still on. <laughs> Your, your brain is still disconnected from your body, but you have become conscious. So then you're, you're, you've, you go to move your body and it doesn't move because the switch hasn't disconnected yet. And people who experience this, they experience it as being paralyzed. Now, what that would feel like, I got that. I have a really hard time getting my head around it. Like four eyes, you know, or being able to see out the back of your head. Like, what would that be like? That would really mess with your sense of space. The brain itself is very plastic. It learns and it adapts really quickly. And existing brain computer interfaces, they all take advantage of this to a greater or less lesser extent. I, somebody who receives a brain implant, you have to learn to use it. There's a training process that you go through. And the, the biological manifestation of that training process is that your brain tissue is re configuring to enable itself to do what you want to do as to the best of its ability. When you're born there, you, your, your brain has a rough plan or like this part of your brain, and, and it, which mostly comes from like your genetics determine uh, the, the, the coarse wiring of your brain. You know, your eye, the nerves from your eyes, they go to a particular part of your brain. The nerves from your ears, they go to another particular part of your brain. Your hands, you know, all the muscles in your body, they go to a particular part of your brain. But when you're born, very little of that. This is for human beings in particular. For some, for some animals, this is different. But when you're born, very little of that neocortex is pre-programmed to do very many of those things at all, which is why, you know, infants have no control of their arms or legs, no very little volitional control of their arms and legs. They develop it really, really quickly, but it takes a lifetime to develop really nuanced control of all these things. Primates can do this too, and that's why monkeys can learn monkey pong. AI is going to be really important for making that interface work because both sides of that interface have to learn to talk to each other and that you have to do that from scratch every time for every single human who gets an implant. So we want those, we want those algorithms to be efficient. We want them to be really high bandwidth. Um, we want them to be quick to learn. We want them to automatically adapt because your, your brain is constantly remodeling itself. You know, we are to some extent, you know, adults like you and me, we're going to be constrained by the patterns our brain already learned and the way it already organizes itself, not having Neuralink. So people who grow up with Neuralink, they're very likely have a very different set of constraints and they're very likely to be able to have much higher bandwidth than an adult implanted with this. Like you can't compare it to Neuralink, just like the, the, the difference in bandwidth is just enormous. Like what you, what they will be able to do with Neuralink, like right out of the gate is just going to like, it's just, it's going to blow away past. Though I'm not the best interviewer per se, if you're wanting more depth into how Neuralink will actually work. I suggest you listen to my conversations with James. So far, we've published two of these. He and I are thinking that future conversations can be about one or two of Neuralink's patents, the manufacturing process for the electrode threads, and how the brain's neuroplasticity will help Neuralink achieve their goals. Look at this latest post from the Neuralink Twitter account. In this video, we can see how small the needle is and the process for inserting the electrode threads into the brain proxy. If you're interested in working on the robot or any other part of Neuralink, you can apply at www.neuralink.com careers. Here are the charts of the company's Twitter followers, LinkedIn followers, and employee count. As you can see, the employee count has dropped over the past few months. 
Though headcount has decreased, they will still hire top talent at any time, particularly those who are motivated to solve brain and spinal cord problems. My name is Ryan Sanaka. Thanks for watching. You can follow Neuropod on Twitter for more timely updates. Also, check out this video that YouTube is recommending specifically for you. Thanks again.